If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, let's look to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about this incredible God, the God of all comfort. Be of good cheer if you're here this morning, whether visiting or member alike, and there's an area in your life that you want God to speak into. I'm convinced that today through His Word, He wants to speak to you. For all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, all you who really need a, uh, a God who sees and hears and responds lovingly, there's such good news today. So lean in. Put away that which is distracting. Clear your mind. Let's have God speak to us today. How is it with you when you go into a store? Maybe to find an item that you've been pursuing and you go and Sometimes when I go to a store, I want to go under the radar screen. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go and, and find the one item that I'm looking for and get out. I bet you a lot of the men here today are saying, yeah, I've been there. Some of the women may say, what's well, the, the shopping adventure? It's not just going to get a blouse. It's a whole deal, you know. But when there's that one item that I really want to obtain more information about, what I'm looking for is when I walk into a store, I want to talk to an expert. I want to talk to somebody who knows what they are talking about. Have you been there? Have you been in a situation like, I probably am sure you have like me, where you walk in and you're trying to find someone to help you and you, you need a little assistance and so you start describing what you're looking for or you want more information about a product and it doesn't take too long to you to discover you know more about this than they do. Like, oh man, are you going to get a commission on this? You know, help. You kind of want to look around for a manager. You don't want to cause a scene, but you want an expert. I mean, somebody could tell me about this. Maybe that's one of the reasons I love the Apple store. Have you been there? Down to the Millennial Mall? you got to go. It's an amazing store. It's unlike any other. And yeah, I'm kind of an Apple freak, but I won't have one on my car. And I don't worship Steve Jobs. But they got an incredible store. And But when I'm in there, I, I, first of all, I'm a little intimidated. Because their help staff looks a little different than any other help staff I've ever seen. I mean, it's tattoos and piercings galore. Have you been there? I'm a little bit frightened. A little bit out of my element, but what I love is they know what they're talking about. As a matter of fact, at the back of the store, they have Mac geniuses. Geniuses that you can go and you can sign up to talk to a genius in real life. There they are and all their piercings and tattoos and spiked out hair. But they will know their stuff. It's amazing. I stand there and say, that's a genius. What you don't want is what I've given some customers throughout my life. I remember uh, I've shared with you before, so this may sound familiar, but it's a good point. I worked in college in a jewelry store. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. But I got to tell you, when you're working in a jewelry store and you're on the floor trying to sell... And you're supposed to sell precious stones, things called rubies, emeralds, diamonds. It's really difficult when you're colorblind. And someone comes in 
And he says, hey, I would like to put together for my wife. I'll never forget this doctor came in and he got the short straw because he got me. And he and I went through the store and he says, I'd like to buy for my wife a ruby ring, ruby necklace, ruby earrings, uh, ruby bracelet. So you're going into rubies, sir. Yes, uh, that's her gemstone. That's her. We're going to hook you up today. And I tell you, I went over the box. And I'm sweat- I went over the case. I'm sweating already because I can't tell the difference between an emerald and a ruby. I can't. It's, it's, it, I'm no expert. And so I'm having to look at the little tag. You know how small the writing is on those little tags? This is a beautiful, that's an emerald, that's an emerald. Ruby, for you, sir. I carried around his sales receipt in my pocket for weeks. I mean, I, I was like, man, it was awesome. But really, truthfully, I wasn't much of an expert. I was a rookie faking it. When it comes to, to our lives... Especially when it comes to the area of suffering. When it comes to some of the difficulties in life, we want to turn to an expert. We want to turn to a God who's not colorblind in the sense that he can't distinguish our pain. He doesn't know our sorrow. He doesn't know what it's like. And the incredible news about Jesus Christ and God's own son becoming flesh is that we got something a whole lot better than a Mac genius. We got a suffering Genius. God's a suffering genius. No one has ever suffered like our God. He's suffered so much, they call him the man of sorrows, the man of suffering. He would be pierced for our suffering and sorrows. He would know the pains that we experience by living in a fallen world. He would know the trials that come. He would know the temptations that are ever present with us. He would know the pain of betrayal. He would know the physical exhaustion of a hard day's work. He would thirst. He would hunger. He would be tempted face to face with Satan. He would suffer. So much so that our God became flesh and dwelled among us so that he could become a suffering genius. And so maybe you're here today and you're suffering. And the first bit of incredible news you got to hear is you're not going to come to a God who's faking it. You're not going to come to a God who's basically blind to suffering. The God that we can know through scripture and by God's grace is a suffering genius. But it's more than that. You turn the page and you realize because Jesus is a suffering God and our God is a genius when it comes to suffering because he knows it. He is a genius when it comes to comforting. He is the father of all comfort. He is the source of all comfort. Our world desperately needs it. Every one of us is on a world pursuit, a lifelong pursuit to find comfort, relief, meaning, joy. And every one of us is going to spend all of our life and all of our resources trying to find that which will ultimately bring us comfort. And again, there's such good news today. What you need the most, Jesus delivers the best. And we're going to turn to him in his word and say, speak to us today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 
Mindful that we are turning in our Bibles or we're reading on the overhead or we're hearing your preacher say these words. These words aren't my words. These are God's holy, inerrant words. They're not going to lead us astray. They're without error. Because He loves us, He has given us this word. Paul is going to be writing this letter to the church at Corinth and the surrounding churches to brothers and sisters like you and me. He's writing this letter. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Actual God's words are breathed into him, his being. Amazingly, it's not a mechanical thing. Uh, God is using Paul and all of his abilities, all of his experience, all of his knowledge to communicate this word. It's an amazing deal what the Holy Spirit has inspired through a writer like Paul. But it's for us today because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Please read silently with me as I read God's Word. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Maybe you want to think of Damascus Road. That's how he was called. And Timothy, our brother. Interesting, usually Paul is going to refer to Timothy when he writes to him as his son, as his beloved son, as an heir, a parent in ministry. But when he's including a letter with him to others, he's giving him the right title, brother. And again, when we say we're family, we should start immediately seeing in this letter as well, family. Calling one another brothers and sisters, Paul writing with Timothy to the church. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his called out holy ones throughout Arcadia or Asia. And again, this is going to be a letter that's going to be written uh, and, and sent and read and distributed to other churches in the area. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical, God is going to, uh, in a letter, an epistle, you're going to have that kind of greeting. It's only in this Pauline letter and the letter to Galatians where there's not the thanksgiving part. But here's what I want you to hear in the next four sentences, or four verses. He uses the word father three times. He uses the root word for comfort ten times. He's going to use the word for suffering three times and affliction four times. So you get a little bit of sense of where we're going. And again, one of the things we just did earlier is pass the peace of Christ. And we see that what we do is being done in the early church. May the grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts with passing the peace. Okay, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that, in order that, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, Paul is writing, uh, some are saying to him, you know, you're really, are you really an apostle? Uh, you don't seem to measure up because there's a lot of suffering and persecution in your life. 
And unbelievably, he's saying that he's suffering for the church. See more about that in a minute. But what I want to stop here and just talk a minute about is this. The sufferings in Christ. You and I suffer this morning because we live in a fallen world. We suffer because we're sinful. And those around us are sinful. Those aren't sufferings in Christ. We suffer because of bad decisions. We suffer because of sin. We suffer because sin around us. And we certainly uh, live in a world that is filled with sufferings, many of which we bring on ourselves. But Paul is talking about something really different here. He's talking about sufferings in Christ. These are sufferings that he has endured and that you and I are called to endure and to have a fellowship with Christ in those for being Christians. I mean, this is suffering. And Paul has been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been abandoned. He's been left for dead. Not because of any other reason other than the fact that Paul surrendered his life to Jesus. And because he's a follower of Christ, an enemy that's real, and a culture and a society that hated Christians Christians in Christ, were persecuting him. Quite frankly, I wish I could speak more personally about the sufferings of Christ. I think that my life is, is woefully deficient. No, no uh, help me. Woefully deficient. I get that word. Deficient of sufferings in Christ. I don't suffer a lot being a Christian. There's no one threatening my life. I haven't had anybody throw stones at me for following Jesus. I've not been beaten with rods. So there's a distinction there that we got to make. But we are called, each and every one of us, as followers of Christ, to fellowship in those sharings, that suffering with Christ. That's what what he's enduring. All right. I couldn't help but let that dig in a little bit more. Let me read it again. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds. It's a beautiful abounding through Christ. If we are distressed... And again, Paul here talking, Paul with Timothy. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. He's modeling Christ to them and the sufferings of Christ. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your apostle Paul, who suffered so incredibly. When you called him, and you told us the story of Paul way back in Acts 9, you declared that you're going to show the world how much he would have to suffer for your name, Jesus. And oh, how he suffered. But Jesus, you knew that suffering because you endured so much more suffering. And not only are you the God of suffering, but you're the God of comfort. As you comforted Paul to comfort the churches, we ask that you would send powerfully your spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, to come and comfort us. Because we're suffering. We acknowledge that much of our suffering is not in Christ. It's just in our fallen world, and our fallen natures. But God, you still are the God who says comfort 
comfort my people. And Father, I confess that I do not have the ability or the words or the power to comfort. Only you can. So would you please speak through a broken vessel, a broken sinner who desperately needs to be comforted as well. God, would you open up our ears to hear Jesus' voice, guidance, and direction? Would you open up our minds to understand what this means for us? Father, would you, would you break away again, chip away those stone-dead hearts of ours and, and let us have hearts of flesh that embrace this truth? And Father, for your glory, may we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel here. May we truly leave here as comforters to a world that desperately, desperately wants and is seeking after comfort in all of the wrong places. Make us your ambassadors of comfort, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The first point this morning is this. Our God is a God of such good news. You've got to hear this. This is incredible news. I didn't make this up. This is hearing God's word. Our God is the God of all comfort. Good news. Our God is the God, the source, the father of all comfort because he is the God of all suffering. Because of what we looked at last week, if you weren't here last week, uh, there are some tapes, there's CDs out here in the foyer. You can pick it up on the web. Uh, because really, for us to fully understand the weight of a God who is a God of all comfort, we got to understand, again, that he's a God of all sorrows. A God who really does get you. A God who really does understand you. I don't know what you've been through, but a God who's been in your shoes. And a God who brings comfort. And besides this, last week we realized incredible good news that Jesus, the holy, sinless one, was made perfect through suffering to be perfect and comforting. He had to go through all that suffering. Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to endure the cross. He had to endure all that he did so that he could become, unbelievably, the high priest that lives for us, lives to intercede for us today and empathizes with us and knows our pain. He is an expert when it comes to sorrow, so he could be an expert when it comes to comforting. Turn with me again. We're just going to peek where we were last week at Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18 as a refreshment of where we were. Hebrews 2, 17 says this, For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters, that's you and me in Christ, in every way, fully man, fully God, in order that he might become, interesting to see this transition of Jesus, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So if you have your pen, you may want to write down merciful or highlight merciful and faithful to God and that he might make an atonement for the sins of his people. You see, what Jesus had to endure in his suffering had to do with two things. Let me summarize this. It's very important in two things. It's this. He had to become, he had to learn mercy. He's a merciful God. He's a God who tells us, comfort my people. He's a comfort, uh, he's a God of comfort. But becoming man, being tempted in every way like you and me, going through the trials that he has gone through, being refined, even this sinless perfect one learned obedience. And ready for this? He learned mercy. Mercy in a way that only flesh, being tempted, can learn. 
So you have a God in Christ Jesus, a Savior who is merciful to you, but there's another part of that, and faithful to the Father. It says that he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. So he could be faithful. So he can be that spotless sacrifice offering himself for our sins, our transgressions. The Father had to find him faithful. If Jesus is not faithful, the tomb would not be empty. Jesus, the Father, would not accept a sacrifice that wasn't a faithful, true, spotless sacrifice. The only way your sins, my sins, can be atoned for, as it says in Hebrews 2, is for a faithful high priest, a faithful, spotless Lamb of God, to be offered up. Jesus, through his suffering, became merciful and faithful to appease a holy God so that he can show us compassion. Amen? I know that that was some theological here and there, but we can't miss this. God had to become the God of all sorrows and all suffering so He could become to us the God of all comfort. And that is who our God is. And your heart and my heart should swell over with thanksgiving that we realize, listen, we realize that Jesus' trials and suffering, guess whose benefit they were for? Ours. Ours. Then we read about Paul here. And we got to realize that really Paul is writing about himself. He's writing about the comfort that he has received. We're peering into his life. And we got to realize that Paul would say this amazing thing. Paul says, all my trials, church, all my stoning and, 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 and uh, the, the lashes and, and the, the being left for dead and all the sufferings in Christ, you know what they're for? They're for you. They're for your encouragement. They're for your edification. They're so I can tenderly comfort you. As I was reading a commentary uh, this week, it said this. It scared me to death, but it's true. It says, one is a miserable preacher who learns his divinity or his theology by studying and learning, not by experience. In the last several weeks, one of the things that is so obvious to your pastor is you got to go through growing pains as I go through growing pains. And my sufferings, and again, I told you earlier, and I mean it, it's not a lot of sufferings in Christ. It's sufferings from being fallen and broken and sufferings from being in a fallen world. But as I mature in Christ, God is going to tenderize me to comfort you. And what a joy it is. Hard as nails. I wrestled with this this week. I'm like, God, I'm not sure because I, I don't know how much comfort I could give your people right now because I'm not feeling your comfort to me. I had to look deep and say, God, but I know your word is true. And I know that whatever you bring me through is for your glory, even for Orangewood's gain. And that's what Paul was saying, an amazing thing, is I'm going through some real junk here. And yes, he's bringing me comfort and it feels good when he comforts me, but ultimately it's for you. You know, God has, uh, the only way God can show mercy is if God sees our pain. The only way that God can show us mercy is if he's a God who sees the broken. 
And I want you to know this morning, so clearly, we got to get this. He sees. He's a God who sees. Sometimes I wonder, do you really see, Lord? Because it doesn't look like you're doing anything. Elroy, he's a God who sees. He sees your heart right now. He sees your pain. He sees your closet. He sees your bank book. He sees your computer, even the history you try to erase. He's God who sees. And if that were all we had for God, we'd have reason to stand up and celebrate saying, you know what, he, he looks so down on us, he sees us. But you know what, there's more. He's a God who's merciful. He's a God who's tender. He's, he's, he's the God who notices, he's the good Samaritan God who notices the one in the ditch when no one else, even the religious folks don't. He's the God who's the, he's the, God who's the, the father to the prodigal that loves to absolutely make a fool out of himself and run to sinners who don't deserve it because he's a God who sees and because he's a God who's merciful and there's some even better news. If he was only a God who saw and if he was only a God who had mercy, we would have reason to stand and sing and say hallelujah, but he's a well-resourced God. He's God Almighty. He's got everything in his hands. He sees your pain. He knows your sorrow. And he has the ability and the power to minister to you. That's our God. I got goosebumps. I mean, hallelujah. That's a God who is going to respond for his people. Our God is a well-resourced God. He's a God of all sorrow, so he could be a God of all comfort. But look at what this really says to us. Second point is this. Our God comforts us in our sufferings so that, in order that, the point of that is this. Our God is a God who comforts us in our sufferings so that we can comfort others in their sufferings. It's a whole chain. It's a whole point. And I love what it says here, too. It says this, that God comforts us in our sorrows, not always out of our sorrows. And we so much want a God who, who we, we say the right prayer and we got that, that right rub on the genie lamp and he's going to pop out and say, okay, what do you want? I want to be relieved from the sorrow, from the suffering. I want you to manipulate things in my life, take away the pain, take away the cancer, take away the brokenness of my marriage, take away the financial burden, take it all away. And he says, you know what I'm going to be to you? I'm going to be the God of all comfort in the midst of the battle of cancer, in the financial pain, in your broken marriage, in the fact that your son hasn't come back yet, in that unwanted pregnancy, in your situation. Not always out. And I hate the fact that we live in a day and age that a lot of people want to stand up and tell Our church, the church, that you know what? God just wants to relieve your suffering because suffering is bad and he wants to give you all this good stuff and he wants to pour your life with all this good stuff and and make a nice padded world for you and make your world just all free of all sorrows and do away with your medicine cabinet and do away with doctors and he wants to just bless you and bless you and bless you. He is blessing you with suffering. Do you hear me? He's blessing you. He's not holding anything back. 
But he's not going to always say, I'm going to pull you out of this. He's going to say, I'm going to walk with you through this. But we're not going to get burned. And he will be faithful. A few weeks ago, we looked at this thorn in the flesh from Paul. And really what sticks with me in that message is this. It didn't remove the thorn. Listen, he didn't remove the thorn. But he said this, counterbalance, my grace is sufficient. There's going to be something that's going to counterbalance your suffering. And God says this, my grace abounds, my comfort abounds. Wherever you are, I promise you it will be sufficient for you. As suffering abounds in your life, Paul was right to say God's comfort abounds. Paul suffered to be a comforter to the church. And we too are to share all of God's blessings. Listen, whatever God has given you, if he's given you ability to, whatever abilities God has given you, he's given them to you to empower others. Do we get that? Can we just talk for a minute? If you have power, you've been given power, authority to empower others. If you have received comfort from God, it's so you would comfort others. I got to tell you, I've been so comforted to see God comfort you. It's an amazing, it's an amazing picture from here. To see you come to church and, and just to know the suffering and then to know the tears. And to know that God is comforting you. And I'm so comforted that he's comforting you. I mean, I, I, I am when Vicky shares on Easter Sunday that God comforted the loss through a loss of a child, I'm so comforted. I'm like, God is real. That nightmare didn't win. And when I see the pain of your nightmares, I know that God is comforting you and I'm energized. And so are your brothers and sisters around you. I got a bad habit. I got many bad habits. I've told you some. I give you the easy ones. I don't want to get run out of here yet, you know. Another bad habit I have is I'm kind of a cover hog. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty big guy, and, and I just feel like if I, I don't do it consciously, I really don't. I've been accused of that. But I, I, I grab the corner of a nice comforter and I just kind of spin, you know, do the old cocoon deal. You know the cocoon deal? It's really comfortable and the comforter is all around you and you just spin. And when you're my size, the majority of the comforter, if not all of it, is, is right around you and it's cozy. I'm a comfort hog. I'm a comforter. I want the comforter around me. Some of us want to take the comfort God gives us and get into a fetal position and spin. But he says, no, 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 I'm comforting you for something so much greater than that. You've got to share the covers. Share the covers. It's not just about you hurting. It's, and God cares and he's with you. It's not just about your pain. It's just family here. It's about our pain. We just can't grab a hold of the covers and spin into a fetal position. You see, he comforts us to be a comfort to others. The next point is a family is to share in their sufferings as they share in their comforting. 
You see, we are a family. You hear me sing about it. You hear me say it. I've said it and I say it and I'll say it and I'll say it and I'll say it. Not because we are Orangewood's family, because we are God's family. And he clearly tells us that a family is to share, we're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, we're to weep with those who are weeping, we are to experience the pain of the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. Their story is your story, and our story is God's story. And we are family, and we're to be a family that shares in their sufferings so that we share in their comforting. You know, I love the fact that even through a difficult time in a congregational meeting last week, I, I said, uh, we're going to have a potluck dinner because we're family. Yes, we're going to communicate some financial news we don't want to talk about, but we're going to have a potluck dinner because we're family. And I love seeing you all gather and, and, and to see so many and all the food and, and then to hear a story come out of that. One gentleman said, his wife said to him, you know what, we, we, we can't miss those. It's, it's just family. It's just such a family feel about those things. Because why? Because we're called to share in our sufferings and share in our comforting. we got to become quilt makers. Okay, don't hog the covers. Now we got to become quilt makers. Maggie, are you here? Maggie Moore, she makes quilts. You know, and it's, she loves to do it. But, you know, in the old day, they, a lot of folks make quilts, and you usually make them in community. You know, you're kind of each required to bring one patch work of your own, a story that, that is being told to you, and you come and you bring this patchwork, and what do you do? You weave it to others, and they weave them to another, and they weave them to another, and it tells a mosaic of a story. Listen, church of the living God. Listen, God's calling us to be quilt makers. He's to take all of your story that he's writing in your life, the pain and the joys, and they're to be sewn into my little patch, your neighbor's patch. We're to make a comforter that tells God's story right here. And you know what the great news is? We don't have to hide. We could tell the whole story. And we could weep as we weave it together. We can rejoice and we can sing. But that's the picture of what we're supposed to be as a family. We're supposed to be making quilts. Don't hide the covers. Make quilts. Sew your story. But listen, you can't share in what you don't participate in. You can't share what you don't participate in. And this is not enough. Sunday morning is not enough for us to make in quilts that God has intended us to do. We don't have time to share. So we have other things like equipping center, age and stage, so you can make those quilts in the same fashion with the same stories. See two groups, small groups, that you really can get intimate with one another and really talk about the pain and suffering and sorrows of your story so we can share them together so we're not hogging each other's comforters. Listen, but we'll never, ever make quilts together if we don't participate with one another. It's not enough here. If you're a member of Orangewood, God's called you to go deeper, called you to get involved in a, a Sunday school equipping center class right here on Sunday mornings. Be loved. Share your love. And lastly, as our suffering abounds, so does God's comfort abound. Listen, if some of you right now are saying, I can't make a quilt Don't ask me to share anything. I'm just dying right now. (laughs) 
as your suffering abounds, God's comfort abounds. It's going to be sufficient. Romans 8.28, it's true. All things for God's people, all things work together. All things, not some, not partial, all things work together for good. For those who love God. For those who have been called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. I'm learning it every day. Some days I forget. A lot of days I do. But i got to be reminded that God's grace abounds through you too. As you weave your quilt into my life, we realize that His grace is sufficient. His comfort is real. The story I heard this week, I heard a story about a uh, pastor up in the Chicago area. He had a son that rebelled. And no matter what he tried to do to turn the son's life and heart around, it didn't work. It just got worse. You know, they, they tried to put the full court press on. It got worse. They tried to back off. It got worse. The son rejects the father. He rejects the religion of the family, walking with Jesus, and he leaves, and he follows a lifestyle that his parents were brokenhearted about. They don't really know where he is exactly and find out that he's living in a, a little teeny like apartment in downtown Chicago with nothing there. And one night the phone rings and he picks up the phone. And he says, Pastor so-and-so, yes. He says, we want to let you know your son's been arrested for DUI. Can you come down and pick him up, please? He said, I'll be there in just a moment. He gets dressed. He goes to the uh, police station. And his boy's not there. And he said, well, you know, there's a lot of little towns here. So he drives to the next town. He goes into the police station and says, hey, I got a call. My boy's here. He was arrested for DUI. He's not here. So he goes to the... I'm going to get through this. Third station. And he said, you know, your boy's not here. So he drives to his little apartment. And he parks his car and he walks in and he sees cuddled up in the corner of the room on a mattress with a sleeping bag, his boy. And he walks over and without saying a word, he leans over and he just kisses him. He turns around and he walks out. And by God's grace, in a few years, the boy returned home He was restored. The story of a prodigal and the joy of a prodigal coming home was experienced. And when things were mended, the father and son had a conversation. He said, you know, son, what was it? What was it that that brought you home? What did God use? He said, Dad, you didn't know I was awake. But my friends played a prank on you. They called you one night to say I was arrested, and I wasn't arrested. They just wanted to mess with you, Dad. They just wanted to tell you that I'd been arrested to see what you'd do. And when you came into my room and I pretended I was asleep, you just bent down and kissed me. And I realized a kiss of a father that truly shows compassion to a son who doesn't deserve it was enough to turn me 
around and back home. It's our story. It's our story. It's a God who will come to sinners like us while we were still way off. And a God of all comfort who will kneel down over our brokenness and and kiss us and love us and provide a way home through his son. That's our story. It's a God of compassion. It's a God of love. If you're here this morning, you're looking for that love and that mercy and that compassion and that belonging and that identity. And you'll only find it, listen, you'll only find it in the God of all comfort. He's the source. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for that kiss, it's available for you today. But for the rest of us, there's two, two applications individually. One is this, don't hog the covers. My tendency, I told you, was to cocoon up when life gets tough. And I want God to comfort me and only me. How is it with you? If God is, is, God is comforting you right now, he's doing it so you share that comfort. He's doing it in a way that you're sharing the covers. Really, Christians, our lives, our lives are show and tell. I love the story of Jesus going into a community where a man was, was filled with demons. Many of them. They called them, his name, Legion. Many demons. And nothing could straighten this boy out. Nothing. I mean, he, he would cut himself. and he, he, Nothing would be able to bind him. Until Jesus came and set him free. And he had a contact with Jesus that, that made him whole. And he, he did this. He said, I love this. This is the point of the story. He said, Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. I, I, I'm, I'm yours. I mean, I've been set free. I've been cleansed. Have you been set free and cleansed? This, this sinner has. This sinner has been set free from everything that, that bound him. And I've, I've experienced life and life abundantly in Christ. And, and, and what this man said, he turned to him and he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Go, go back home. And go back home and tell everyone what God has done for you. That's, that, that's the point. Have you been set free by the blood of the Lamb? Have you experienced God's comfort? Go to your workplace. Go to your neighbors. Go to your family. Go to where God sends you and tell them what God has done for you. Show and tell. Don't hog the covers. Lastly, we got to corporately become quilt makers. We really do have to become more than just a song and a dance family. You got to participate. You got to make time for this church. You got to make time to share. You got to make time to belong. It's got to be a priority. We got to become quilt makers. And I tell you, our society doesn't have, our churches don't make quilts anymore. And not just figuratively, I mean, not just literally, but figuratively, we don't. And we, are we going to just bow up and say we really are family? We really are called to be together? We're going to make it a priority to be with one another and tell our story? Orangewood, it's our turn to carry his love. Orangewood, it's our turn to tell his story. Orangewood, it's our turn to be family. Orangewood, it's our turn to build a community, to reach a community. Orangewood, it's our turn to carry his love and build an incredible comforter that our world desperately needs. Don't hog the covers.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, all of our troubles, all of our sorrows, so that we can be comforters to others. And the truth is, Father, the only reason we can do anything is because you got a call that we were in trouble. And Jesus, you put on flesh and you came to look for us. And you kissed us. And that kiss included a cross where the Father's justice and mercy could be kissed. And we can know a God of all sorrows and a God of all comfort. So that we could carry his love. Empower us to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.